<laughs> thinking, you want to start with suffering or the end of suffering? <laughs> you can have a vote. <laughs> Which one do we want to go for? Suffering. Suffering. <laughs> Hopefully we can have both, reflect on both. Our waking up, our pathway of waking up to the end of suffering, the end of dukkha, the cessation of dukkha. Dukkha is the word for the unsatisfactory aspect that we can find ourselves in, as I named before, from the very mundane <coughs> dissatisfaction, dis-ease with the way things are, to the more obvious, grosser forms of how that can be manifested in our life and in the world. Waking up in the midst of the dukkha, that's how we wake up actually. So when the Buddha gave the teaching of the Four Noble Truths, he said, yep, there's dissatisfaction, number one. There is this. This is a condition. It's not the ultimate truth, but it is something that is experienced. There is dukkha. And the imperative is to understand it. He said that, number two, there is a cause for dukkha. There is a cause for the dissatisfaction which is clinging. Understand this. Come close. Understand this mechanism of taking hold. And any time we take hold of an experience to pull it towards us or to push it away, we are compartmentalizing something that is essentially undivided. And that can happen. You've seen it in your minds from the subtle to the gross. And the third truth, there is an end to dukkha. Realize it. This is for us to realize. So waking up in the middle of the dukkha, what does that look like? And I uh, reflected a couple of weeks ago, I went to the first pop concert I've been to since I was about 23, a long time ago. And I was uh, going to Wembley Arena to see Leonard Cohen and I hadn't done anything like I'd never done that before, but it's a long time since I'd done anything like that. It's very expensive, didn't you know that? <laughs> <laughs> it's very expensive. So, and it was going to London, you know, even though I come from London, it was still a big deal. Now I'm a country bumpkin. A big deal to go up to London, go to Wembley. I really like some of his music. I really appreciate, especially his work. You know, he has some some insight, and etc., etc., etc. Sat in Wembley Arena at my seat. Didn't know that I was building it up. We don't normally know we've built something up until it comes crashing down. There I was. They came in, beautiful, beautiful musicians. Played, started playing a song I love. What could be better? So there's our idea of things are really going well except that the person sitting next to me started tapping to this song that has a really good rhythm, out of rhythm, <laughs> with a tune. 
and it was right next to my leg. And so my whole body could... This is what I want, but this is what's happening. And before I knew it, the spin, the outrage, the hatred... What kind of human being is this that taps the wrong rhythm? <laughs> I could feel the dissonance in my system, you know, because rhythm has a real assonance, also kind of dissonance. Something's got to be done about this. So I spoke to them. But they were there for their pleasure too, and seemingly they were having pleasure. What to do? But luckily they said, okay, you can sit this side. So I moved for the next song. Okay, just coming down from that little dukkha trip. There wasn't I mean, Next song. The guy on this side <laughs> was singing <laughs> out of tune to Leonard Cohen. And by that point, you know, at some point we wake up, don't we? At some point, we realize that the function of this life isn't to make it all go according to how I think it should. And at that point, it was, was a remarkable kind of melody. <laughs> and then I just had to laugh. At some point, at some point, we have to give up. Because it's so tiring. And that gap between the way it is and the way I think it should be, that's the gap of dukkha. That's the gap of dukkha. So we come back. We wake up in it. Sometimes it takes a while. Sometimes it takes life to push us to an edge. Or not in this case, not very serious edge. But it felt serious for a few minutes. But for that to happen, we actually need some resource. We need some presence, some, in a way, giving up of the notion that the point of this existence is to get it all together for me. Because we will be disappointed. Because even if we get it together for a little while, have you ever gotten it together? For a while. <laughs> Have you ever got, gotten all conditions together so you got, got it together? Well, you can teach me how to do that. If you... But even if we do for a little while or think we have, it's so tenuous. It's a little bit like this, this table, isn't it? What's holding conditions together? What is it that's holding conditions together? And sometimes we think we have to hold conditions together. Do you know, you know, like hold the... And it's, it's painful. Here it's not... I'm, I told a light story, but it's not so funny when we're in the middle of it, where we feel like we have to hold it all together. We have to hold ourselves together. The family, the job, the whatever it is. And we tense and we tighten... And this kind of holding, this kind of holding that we can feel and you have in your bodies this week, of holding something together, that's the clinging, that's the dukkha. We haven't yet had the verified faith again and again and again that actually that's not the function of this life. 
What a relief. So as we come on retreat, one of the things we do is we see where we're trying to hold ourselves together and how exhausting that is and it starts to soften and then something else pops up. Other aspects of ourselves, things we haven't seen before, flattering things, unflattering things, a lot of unflattering things, <laughs> some more unflattering things, things that start to show up in our heart and mind when we're not busily kind of keep the boxes all nice and orderly all the time. And one thing we have to watch for in this spiritual path as we have the courage to sit with our own heart and mind, it's courageous actually, that as these things unravel a little bit, and we go, oh, no, no, that's not supposed to be happening. I'm not supposed to have um, sadness. It even happens with the beautiful things. Have you noticed? There might be a glimmer of joy. And because it doesn't fit our bill, if it doesn't fit our bill, no, 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 that's not real. A lot of people have a habit of dismissing what's their experience. It's really not uncommon. Now, that can't be real. The real stuff is the misery. Or the, the real stuff is the whatever it is. Let's say the joy arises, same thing. No, 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 not that. No, I'm, I'm working on this really hard thing right now. I'll get to the end of that and then I'll... It doesn't work like that. What we have to be careful of and really need support with is when these less flattering things arise in us that we don't then, or we may, but we need to see it, Give ourselves a hard time about that. Because we may have needed to present all our life as somebody pleasing, let's say. That's my function. And we think that's our function. This lifetime is to please. And we may be pleasing at times. But where it becomes a construct, where it becomes a fabrication of something that we have to tighten up in order to deliver then we can feel that that's not so authentic. That unravels here. We see something not pleasing. And then what can come is the critic, the inner critic of um, wrong, bad, no. Um, You shouldn't, it shouldn't put that all away. And in a way that, that, that saps our strength. Anyway, takes our strength. It has a lot of strength. A lot of people report of when this kind of inner critic attack arises, we feel collapsed underneath it, kind of because it's in a way it's embodying all of our strength. It's we've given it the authority to squash us, and we need to reclaim that to see that clearly. The Buddha saw that structure on the night of his awakening. It's not just beginner's stuff, the inner critic. One of my teachers talks about it being um, a, 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 a structure that arises along the path, along the way, when, some, when the status quo is challenged. When the status quo of who we think we are gets challenged. The critic is trying to kind of... no. You're one of these, you're not one of those. You shouldn't be like that, you should be like this. And the Buddha, on the night of his awakening, taking his seat, right, 
taking his posture under the Bodhi tree, making his determination when we make the determination to see clearly. He saw many things. A lot of the delusions and the uh, places the mind gets pushed and pulled arose, including this structure of the damning critic saying to him, Let's see if this is familiar to any of you. Who do you think you are sitting there thinking you can be free? You're just... And he wasn't the Buddha, was he? You're just Sid. (laughs) 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 Oh yeah, I'm I'm just Sid. Right? When we're in that... um, when we're, when we're wanting something outside of us, including the inner outside, the, the ways we reflect ourselves back to ourselves, when we're needing that to tell us who we are, it's, it's, it's always delusion. Anything our mind tells us, any definition our mind gives us about who we are is what the Buddha would call Mara, is delusion. Any, any self-referent, even, I'm great, I'm terrible, I'm, me, I'm middle, I'm even, I'm, I'm a good egalitarian, I'm kind of neither better nor worse, I am the equal one, right? None of that. The, the, the freedom, and this last part, remember I talked about the, um, the ethics the cultivation and then the freeing the mind, and I'm doing it in this kind of sandwich, they, they work together. But the freeing the mind part is where the chitta that I spoke about this morning, the heart-mind, this resonant uh, sense that can be open, closed, whatever, is not leaning on anything for support is not leaning on a definition, is not leaning on an idea, is not leaning on events, people. This is very profound. And when you hear it, just watch out if your inner critic comes in, oh God, I'm leaning on, I'm leaning on this and this and this and this and this. Yes. It doesn't mean we go, oh, I shouldn't lean on anything. I shouldn't have a job, house, partner. That's all. N- no. The not leaning is something quite... Uh, it's free. It's free to be as it is. Not leaning on, in this case... On our way to understanding chitta free from leaning, we lean on skillful things. We lean on skillful things. Things that take us, support us to look deeply. Teachings, practices, people, relationships supports in our life, whatever they may be, they can be beautiful. Those things in and of themselves are not bondage. It's always the relationship to them. 
one of the things we've been exploring today is space, spaciousness. And here's a, a quote there's from the teachings. Develop a mind that is vast like space, where experiences both pleasant and unpleasant can appear and disappear without conflict, struggle or harm. Rest in a mind vast like the sky. And some of you will get, get, are getting a taste for that aspect. Rest in a mind vast like the sky. Sensing that spacious dimension of chitta. When we contact space, uh, spaciousness, it shows us a number of things. One is that our nature actually is much closer to space than any obscuration that we come across. It's much closer to what we are, unobscured. And that's not even just a spiritual understanding you know in science now the further they look into phenomena what gets found more and more and more space it doesn't just reveal some final thing it reveals more and more space isn't that mysterious And space also shows us all the places that the space gets locked down. The more we get a taste for that we're not just a bondage, we're not just a limited sense of self, we're not just all our patterns and habits, as we get more of a sense for that, things open up, new ways of experiencing ourselves show up. We also get sensitive to where the space starts to shut down. We feel it more. It's more dissonant in a way it stands out and you may have seen it and people speaking today about oh person was open interested and then felt the way just at the tops of the arms there was a kind of a a locking down Oh, we start to get sensitive to these ways that the space locks down. And it's not something we're normally trained to see. But we can start to train to see it. Because it gives us lots of clues. Self, or the limited sense of self, the patterns, the old historical senses of self, whatever they are for us, a kind of patterns, a kind of patterns that have a kind of compelling energy to them. We kind of keep finding them again in the world, don't we? We cut, you know, it's like almost looking for the evidence to prove it. Have you seen that happen in your mind? You know, sometimes we have a pattern of um, uh, people think I'm too much, or I'm afraid people think I'm too much, so I have to keep myself small. Any of you have that one? It's a popular one. Uh, in this culture, I think. All cultures have their own versions and all little individuals have our own versions of it. 
but that not being too much kind of thing. And I mustn't be. And, and then we can interpret someone's look at us as if we're too much. It's like, all right, okay, how do I get in the box that is acceptable, that is pleasing, that, that, is, uh, that belongs here? Or, in reaction to that, I'm not going to conform to that. I'll be who the hell I want. As if that's freedom. But that's just the reaction. So sensing the space closed down. Have you ever noticed when... um, Well, this may or may not be your experience. Let's say you're going to meet a friend. And you're really looking forward to seeing them. And you love them, actually. And it's like, great, I'm going to see... Bob, at the coffee shop, and there I go. Kind of see Bob. Get to see Bob. Bob's there, he's delighted. And then what do you do? Then what do you and Bob do? What's hard is to stay in that unknown, the unscripted, the unprescribed. Not fully yet having the verified faith which can go deeper and deeper and deeper to rest in that trust the intelligence of our life trust that we don't need an inner critic to tell us what to do not knowing that we tend to fall into patternings around relationships do you know how that goes? (laughs) I'm sure you all do it becomes repetitive some of the patterns are great actually they're even fun and they They're even delightful, but there's something at times we can sense that is repetitive, that is a little stale, that is um, not fresh. Fresh doesn't mean we have to go whoosh all the time and appear like some... I don't know, whatever your idea of fresh is. It's actually staying close to the unknown, to see what would emerge from this encounter. So what then happens with me and Bob is we go, you know, we do our our thing. That is often quite known. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with that. But that in us, which is interested in waking up, may start to feel the space close down. It's like from all that love of Bob, and then, ooh, yeah, Okay. Hmm. Hi. Let's have coffee. Does that ring any bells for you? I can give an example. Um, many years ago, uh, I went to my it was my parents' fiftieth wedding anniversary, a long time ago. And uh, this, you know, these family family is a good place for seeing patterns, isn't it? <laughs> and uh, there was a cousin I hadn't seen for a long time, and. Uh, we saw each other and there's love, there's a fondness and all of that. And he said, all right, Kath, all right, all right. Everything top-notch, is it? Top-notch. <laughs> and we're pulled by each other. It's not just him. We're pulled by, in a way, the inertia, the inertia of patterning. We're pulled into conforming, actually. Because you know what the response is, don't you? what it's supposed to be. (laughs) Don't you? (laughs) And there was enough enough interest, actually, in play in that moment. I said, you know what? 
Sometimes it's top-notch. Sometimes it really isn't. Sometimes it's medium-notch. I said something like that, a little bit playful, but... And he goes, and he stopped. He goes, you know what? It's like that for me too. (laughs) And then I'll see him five years later, or whatever it is. But there's something about... You know, I think we wouldn't be here if we didn't have that sense of something more is possible than our our patterns, even though we can have very beautiful patterns. There's nothing wrong with patterns. Mindfulness of breathing is a patterning. It's a pattern. It's a skillful pattern. Learning how to greet people, certain behaviors and certain things are patterns and they're skillful and helpful. And they're not wrong. It's not like suddenly we shouldn't have any patterns. We can tend more towards skillful patterns. That's the cultivation on the way to not being compelled by our patterns. It's said that Buddhas dwell in Shunyata Vihara. Vihara is dwelling place. Shunyata is empty. Buddhas dwell in Shunyata Vihara. Empty, for many of us, doesn't sound like a great idea when we hear it first. Because our we tend to think of empty and as we start to encounter places in us that might feel empty, uh, one of the layers that we will have to work with and see and discern is where the emptiness feels more like a barrenness or um, like, there, like there's nothing to resonate with. Like there's, It's deficient in some way. That's not what's meant. The emptiness, the Buddha's dwell in the empty dwelling place refers more to uh, that everything is emptied out. There's nothing that we're filling ourselves up with or needing to fill up with. And what is emptied out is the compelling tendencies to pull and push. That's what's emptied out, that impulsive, compulsive energy has been seen and handled and understood and liberated. It's gotten emptied out. And what's left for the Buddha, when they're the Buddhas, so don't just think of it as like one person who you're never going to be. It's, it's a, um, Buddha really means awake. The fully awake one. The emptying out of that tendency to com- to being compelled to hold on to something because we don't know our empty nature. So you might get a sense of it here when you sit and you're quiet and nothing much is going on and you're not fighting with your boss in your mind and you're not doing this and you're mindfully breathing and you feel your body and 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 somebody said in the group yesterday I think then can come up, but it's not enough. It's not enough to just be here. That compelling energy 
it's a kind of restless quality. Restlessness is almost the kind of base dukkha, baseline dukkha, the restlessness that keeps us propelled into trying to find something to define us, fill us. Um, that that restless energy finds its meaning, finds its definition through what? For you. Where does it go for you? Where does that baseline restlessness go for you? The emptying out of the compelling energy is really starting to work and handle that need to keep selecting and rejecting the phenomena and the experience that arise. So this doesn't have to be some esoteric thing. This is happening in the Leonard Cohen concert. It's not like somewhere you'll get to when you've done six more retreats. It's, it's right now. It's when you see the mind wanting to pick up something anything that feels like it has more resonance and meaning than this because this feels like it's barren and empty when we practice mindfulness of breathing body breathing in and out and we're not on retreat we don't have as much things do we we don't have as much interesting stuff to do to to float our boat to get us going to whatever those expressions are to, 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 to make it happen for us we don't have those things and there's a reason for that it's because then the chitta has to start resonating with itself and as it does we'll start to feel the places where there is no resonance places where there are gaps as Brad was talking about where something hasn't resonated yet we haven't yet learned how to handle some of these places or meet them kindly, not reject them, or simply not overlook them. We can start to come into presence with them. By resonance, what do I mean? The res- When we resonate, it's... it's part of the way we know ourselves. It's part of the way we feel alive. You know what it's like when we really don't have much resonance going here, we have to do something dramatic to kind of feel alive. I don't know what it might be. Not that all bungee jumpers have no resonance. I'm sure they do. I'm sure some of them are very deep. But we might go and do something really dramatic in order to have some resonance going. Or we might be so terrified of resonance that we withdraw because that's another patterning. That's another patterning. The compelling, we can be compelled, the itchy quality is compelled to, um, to, to push forward, to get something going, to withdraw, to uh, find the next interesting thing, to avoid the next difficult thing. So where do you go at home when there's nothing to resonate with? Maybe you don't, you know, sometimes when we're really shut down, when our resonance chambers, this is, what we, this is how we resonate. And in the Qigong, 
it starts to open up, we start to get the resonators going. Right? Have you noticed that? We start to resonate a little bit more. Even if what we resonate with is the absence of resonance, that's resonance already. Right? The belly starts to come alive a little bit more. The throat, the diaphragm. And we feel all the tightness, yes, but that's because it's standing out. Something is there to resonate. At home, sometimes I would notice, you know, it usually shows up first with a mind state of boredom. That will come here, won't it? When mindfulness breathing in and out and we get bored, we want something to resonate with, something that tells us who we are, something that's nice, something to eat, something to... And sometimes, I think this is what poor old cats have to deal with. It's like you go up to your cat, and, and in a way what you're saying sometimes, it, oh, speak for myself, <laughs> check it out. Excuse me, cat. Would you mind being something for me to resonate with for a bit? Now, of course, we don't say that. We stroke it and say, what a lovely cat. But what are we resonating with? What are we wanting? Maybe it's something soft, something black and deep, something that purrs. Give me that resonance, please. You might want more dramatic resonances. But in a way, there's nothing wrong with having a cat. But we can start to get interested where we're looking normally for sense contact to fill our holes. Right? We know that's the kind of conventional way of seeing it. We're looking for people, ideas, books, cats. And then here we don't have that, although you might have gone look for a cat. And it can be skillful. You know, it can be really skillful. It can be skillful. So I really want you to hear that. But it's not the end of the path. Right? And it's, very, it's skillful if we know that that's what we're doing. We're not fooling ourselves. That we know that's what we're doing. So here we don't have many cats, or whatever it is that you would have. So we have to resonate with ourselves. Or as Brad mentioned last night, resonate with a notice board and that gets really dry after a while. (laughs) How long can you resonate with the Dana notices? (laughs) Rice cakes. There was a retreat centre I sat at where it was still... um, It was still, that's a funny way of putting it. It was from the tradition, and our tradition from the monks and nuns, they don't eat after 12. So which is luxury here. Um, and this centre kind of had this halfway little thing where uh, I lived there and I did a three-month retreat and they served at supper time rivita and peanut butter. That's a funny thing to resonate with. <laughs> rivita and peanut butter. Unless you're really needing a kind of a bit of a crunch in your life or whatever it is, it's dry, it's it was really, it was really no, no pleasure whatsoever, and that's actually the point. <laughs> Not because pleasure's bad, but because let me see where I'm going for leaning. Let me see this. Let me not be fooled. So here we don't have much. We have lunch, now, a dinner, food becomes a big thing, doesn't it? Here, well, for many of us. I'll speak for myself. <laughs> but we start to think about the meals. Or, um, I don't know. 
At least we've got those to look forward to. Try practicing in a monastery where they don't eat after 12. There's nothing to look forward to then for the whole day. You know, if you were to do that out of kindness and investigation, then it's interesting. Then it's interesting. So here we have the chitta starts to resonate with itself and we find all this absence of resonance. This is why sometimes the concentration and the samadhi practices that, that are, can be taught along a part of the path can be so beautiful because we start to find the way that this chitta, this heart-mind can resonate without leaning on sense contact. And it's beautiful. But we also encounter the places of the absence. So, what happens when you sit? You're breathing in and out. You bump into something not very much. It's a little bit absent, a little bit numb, a little bit. It's not resonating. There's no joy. There's no happiness. There's no ease. There's no peace. There's no space. That's the moment where very fast that restless compelling energy comes and we'll find something we'll find something to resonate with usually internally then through our own mind through our own thinking process and it might be you might find yourself people find themselves selecting you know boyfriend number one from 1972 haven't thought about him for 40 years but you know he was really nice hmm (laughs) and there Oh, good, that's nice. I'll resonate with him for a bit. It's not him. (laughs) Poor guy. It's an image and an idea and something to pull in a resonance. Right? Might be, yes, breathing in, breathing out. It's getting still. It's getting quiet. It's widening. Oh, yeah, I really like this widening. I love Qigong. I love practice. Ah. Hmm. Huh. What's next? Right? Restless mind, and then we might pull in that old favourite of, oh yeah, here's that person I really don't like. Let me just think about them for a while. <laughs> Remember Mary? Oh, I don't like Mary. And then we've got something to resonate with. And it has meaning, and it has importance, and it has significance, and Now, there's something about those spins. It's not that they're completely irrelevant. There's something about the chitta that feels bereft, that feels deficient, that doesn't know its full nature yet, that will select things to try and get it going. And when we find ourselves caught in those spins, that's where we wake up. When you sit beside someone who's tapping out of time with the music, that's where you can wake up. It's when you're in the spin... That's where you wake up. You don't wake up when you're not in the spin because there's no problem. It's when we've spun and contracted. Sometimes the spin has a lot of energy. Some of our habitual spins are shutdowns. We're actually scared of energy and we shut down as a habitual kind of spin. It feels less spinny. It feels a little bit more uh, solid, actually, (coughs) or frozen. But in those, however they show up for you, those places where there is some kind of contraction of self arising, we wake up right there. You become aware of it, don't you, here? You can't not, even if it's two hours later that you've been moaning about Catherine in your own mind or whatever's been happening. In your own mind at some point, this was me at that same retreat centre actually, sitting the retreat, moaning every day to myself, not quite aware of it though, 
You know, it takes us a while to wake up. Moaning to myself about the teacher, actually. Any of you done that <laughs> these days? Moaning about the teacher. She's not doing it right. No, 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 no. Moaning, moaning, moaning. It became very important. She should do it like this, and what about this? And nobody's going to get enlightened if she speaks like that. It all becomes very significant. And then seeing her come and go every day, she looked totally fine. She wasn't suffering. (laughs) And then we have to get it. It's like, oh my goodness, it's here. This bit is my responsibility. This part's my responsibility. So two things. Waking up there, it's like, okay, we clock it. All right, okay. That knowing, that acknowledgement, that which is seeing the dukkha, is seeing the spin, is already awake. It's the knowing faculty, that, that, that awake, bright knowing. doesn't mean you're really, the lights are all on. It just means it's bright enough to know what's happening. I'm in that contraction, that spin. Can I stay here? Can I rest back into the knowing of this spin? Being watchful where you want to counter spin. Let's say it's anger that arose. Anger's arising. Here it is. I become awake to it. Wow, there's anger. Oh, you shouldn't have anger. Catherine's really nice, really. You shouldn't... And then we try and counter-spin to some other story. Okay, all right. No, this is anger. Oh, I I should snap back to the breath. Snap out of this. And we create another spin by coming back to the breath. No, stay right there. Trusting in the knowing... Not feeding the spin, but not snapping away from it. Acknowledging the self that has been born. Wow, this is the, this is the, wow, this is the hurt. This is the hurt self. Huh. We see it. That which sees the hurt is not the hurt. Not feeding it, not dismissing it, we stay awake. And the continuity is the wakefulness, rather than the continuity of self, which happens when we say, I shouldn't be having this, or I should be having this, it's the truth, or I should be a meditator, now I've got to wake up, and we yank ourselves, right. Now I'm going to be a meditator. And that we transfer the self into the meditator. And we get tired eventually, don't we? It's not wrong. It's almost like inevitable that the path will reveal to us all the places where we Go for resonance. And that's why what arises is not completely random. If I think about boyfriend 1970, which I didn't have a boyfriend in 1970, I was way too young. But um, whatever it is we think about, it's not completely and utterly random. Something in that, it's like, oh, 
Here's the one. Here's the one who's looking for love. Here's the one who wants to be seen as lovable. See those stories in your mind at all where you finally are recognized? Here's the one who believes if I don't do everything, nothing will get done. We acknowledge the self, inference, when there's enough wakefulness. When there's not, and we can't breathe with the contraction. So we use the body, we feel it, we see the mental aspect, we see the heart aspect, we feel the body do its, whatever it does. You can see it with different mind states, can't you? The don't mess with me mind state. The, the hurt or collapsed mind state. We can feel it in the body. The body is a really good ally in this. It shows us. Acknowledging those places. And if we can breathe with the contraction, then, you know, if we can just let the breath come a little bit into that awareness, into that contractedness, that is on the way to letting it start to free up. We don't make the freeing up happen. The one who wants to make awakening happen is the one, is the restless one. But we can widen and soften around these places. The abomination of somebody tapping out of time. Even though our mind will say, oh, don't be so silly. It's only somebody tapping out of time. You know, have you ever had that experience where the actual experience doesn't warrant your amount of response? Have you ever had that in your life? It doesn't really warrant it, and the logical part of you knows that. But this instinctual, impulsive, compulsive gut reflex is deep, is instinctual, and needs handling. So we acknowledge, and if we can breathe with it, That's great. When we can't breathe with it, you know, sometimes we find ourselves in these places will arise, old shocks, old places that are very hard to resonate with in us. That we lock down, that we start to lock down. If we lock down and we're not really breathing with it, not really letting even a little glimmer of breath there, We want to back right off. Back right off. (coughs) Go for a walk. Stroke the cat. Have a cup of tea. Because when we're locking down and holding tight, that's not serving us. It serves us in as much as we start to see it, and that's important. That's really important. And we might need support with that. We might need to have someone help us with that. At times. It's not who and what we are either. But there's a simple, wise, discerning acknowledgement. Actually, you know, right now, it's not possible for me to be with this. Let me go and get some resource elsewhere. So this is an important one in the spiritual path for many. Because depth is such a beautiful dimension of what we are. And that idea of wanting to go deeper, 
is such a pull because we do we're drawn to depth or else we wouldn't be here that sometimes we need to back off right my dear sneezing okay it's fine so far (laughs) yeah that we're knocking on the door of depth again and again and actually what we might need at times is to widen actually we always need to widen but we might want to back off trying to go deep and open out to the horizontal wider sphere like we were doing it like in the qigong it's like it's recognizing the depth dimension and opening to the width as well we're not one dimensional we're deep we're wide And what does that look like? That might look like right in your practice, right there, on your cushion. It might look like widening, having the hands. It's such a great practice with a qigong, isn't it? There I am, locked down, right in the middle. Often happens somewhere in the middle or in your head. Or There I am and I open here. I widen and soften around this tight formation. I can't make it go away. It's not my job to make it go away. It will unpack itself in time, but not according to my time, according to the time of the nature of things. The nature of things has its own timing. And I widen here. Might mean I don't sit for a bit. It might mean I need to do some other things in my life. I need to do some more gardening. I need to bake cakes for my neighbors. I need to serve beings in a certain way. Somebody left a a note last night about, um, how did they put it? She said, how does one deal with the powerlessness that comes from opening to the global suffering? So this path is uh, not just for ourselves. It, 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 it is for ourselves, but what constitutes ourself will change along the way. <laughs> the recognition of what that means, what that is, ourself. And the way I see it is the work that we do on the cushion is a kind of a world work, can be a kind of a world work. One of, there are many responses to that question. It could be a whole talk, a whole retreat. I'd want to ask the person who wrote the note, what's global? Global suffering, does that mean the suffering that's not yours? Does it include yours? Is it the suffering that's out there on the big scale? Does it include the suffering that arises here on a small or big scale? I'm sure many of you have had the experience that the conditions that constitute suffering, it's very mysterious. 
And, and then I remember really, this really woke me up very, very much first time I went to India 20-something years ago. And, you know, there's a lot of suffering. There's a lot of suffering everywhere, actually. But there's a, there's a lot of poverty and exploitation and many, many, many things. And that need in us to understand what is this human predicament? What is suffering? What's the end of suffering? What's meaningful here? And seeing this this guy, I think he, I think he was in Bodhgaya, but that didn't mean, you know, there were lots and lots of uh, beggars there in Bodhgaya. And this one guy, he, um, he had uh, tiny little uh, stumps for his legs, and he was on a little trolley. He hit somebody who was making like a little wooden kind of like a skateboard but it would be a homemade one that he would uh, push himself around on really 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 small guy he had leprosy so that lots was missing lots of his nose and you know the way that it uh, it uh, this is actually a very uh, if you don't know about leprosy it's it's leprosy isn't the bit isn't the disease that things fall off Leprosy is the, the, the illness where you stop feeling, uh, you, you stop having the sensation and the feeling to feel pain. And so consequently, especially poor people living on the streets, will, won't feel when they touch the fire. So that it, we lose the, lose the capacity to feel the pain and go, oops. And so it gets burned, it gets infected and uh, gets diseased and falls off. That's how I understand that it works. Which is, yeah, a very um, pertinent um, reminder about our capacity to be sensitive and what it can offer us. Anyway, this guy, on on one level, he didn't look like he had a lot going for him. He was poor, he was thin, he was... He, on some conventional level, wasn't doing well. But this guy, remember Brad said last night about how many watts in us could light a football stadium? This guy, you could, you could, you could warm your hands up on him. Not on him, but, you know, he was, he was, he was... Like, I wonder if they could measure how many watts that was, really. Really quite something. You know, sometimes you can see it, it was pouring out of, out of him. And this isn't to, uh, at all, uh, romanticize because there were difficult conditions and plenty of people were not radiant. So one of the works we can do is our own work, clarifying the chitta, because this what arises here, this what arises in the world, the, the greed, the hate, the confusion, doesn't begin anywhere other than the mind, the human mind. One of my friends, uh, 
Zen teachers. She, she brought him from Japan to Australia many years ago. And uh, they said something like, are you carrying any dangerous weapons? At the airport at Sydney, are you carrying any dangerous weapons? Or whatever they used to ask. Or still ask, actually. Are you carrying any dangerous weapons? Which is an odd question in itself. But Are you carrying any dangerous weapons? And he... It's great, these kind of Zen master stories. He nodded. <laughs> and pointed to his head. <laughs> this is where it begins. Those weapons that we see out there that are causing so much destruction throughout history, all cultures, generations. Where does that begin? The degradation of our planet. The oppression. It's not different than our mind. So one response is our work, doing our work. is part of that. Another response is that, that powerlessness is not the only res- possible response. What that might mean if we open to the, 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 the uh, enormity of the suffering, we may feel a kind of collapse in it, like I can't do anything, and it, or feel helpless or hopeless or something like that. That will be some work for us to do to start to handle that kind of collapse. What that might mean is we can't take it all in all at once. It's a little bit like what I was saying before about being able to breathe through a contraction. Can I take some in and can I breathe with it? At what point do I make it out there and what point do I make it in here? There's a lot of subtle work that can be done with that question, which I won't go into now, all of it. And the third response is that we can respond. The Buddha's dwelling in Shunyata Vihara, in emptiness, does not mean that responsiveness has dried up. And I think that's what lots of us fear, is that if we empty out our compelling things, what's going to make me act in the world? What's going to get me out of bed in the morning if I'm not compelled to? What's going to make me care about the world unless I'm really agitated about it? One of my teachers talks about it a beautiful, beautiful man of, yes, we're impacted by something, whatever it is, the person, the situation, the world, ourself. We're impacted by something. There might be initially a reactivity. There might be initially a contraction or a I can't or I should or but I can't. There might be all of that. He says, yeah, let that, that, that self-impression be there and pause pause as it dies back into the stillness the response might come a responsiveness has a different kind of rhythm (laughs) it's a rhythm again responsiveness has a different kind of rhythm than compulsiveness compulsiveness to act compulsiveness to withdraw we have to listen a little deeper wait, pause 
because we do care actually it's it's very a deep part of us even that part that wants to shut down why do we want to shut down because we are so impacted by the life of each other in this planet why do we want to blame because sometimes it feels like too much to hold what we're being asked to hold and we can respond even if it's something small, to never underestimate that. As I, I really like one of the things Mother Teresa said, of um, we're not called upon to do great things, but to do small things with great love. I mentioned the way she, you know, she did a big work. But something of those works, those responses to the world that are sustainable and have health in them are places where those who are initiating it, working it, carrying it, are staying close to themselves. Because our reactive response burns out, doesn't it? So staying close in service to ourselves and in service to our world. So let's sit for a moment together. May all beings know their depth. May all beings know their width. And their heart as wide as the world. 